We'll read from Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So far the reading of Scripture In the book of Colossians, we have a parallel text, and I'll just read that one as well. The text this evening is verse 4 in Ephesians 6. Do not prov- fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in the book of Colossians, we have almost the same text where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That's Colossians 3 in verse 21. So those texts then will be the... the uh, the text for the sermon this evening, congregation, you'll recall that on Mother's Day, I did give a sermon on mothers and motherhood. And two weeks ago, when we had Father's Day, I did not preach a sermon on fathers. And so I felt that that really wasn't proper to preach at mothers and not to give fathers their due. So that's what we hope to do this evening, is to give a sermon to fathers. So Naturally, uh, we ask ourselves, right, and every preacher asks himself, what does the Bible say to fathers? Because what the Bible says to fathers is what God says to fathers. And that's what we like to know. There's a great deal said to fathers today from psychologists, right, from your own background, from society, what is accepted today and what is not accepted. And all these things may have truth in them uh, because even even non-Christian people can speak truth on occasion. But tonight, it's it's the calling of the preacher to bring the Word of God. What does the Bible and what does God say specifically to fathers? Now, the Bible speaks several things to parents, to mothers and fathers. Mothers and fathers are called to instruct their children, for instance. You can find those verses also in the Bible. But when I sat down to write this sermon, I, I, I wanted to drive specifically to, does God say anything specifically to fathers as fathers? Is there something unique about the father role in the marriage, in the family, that God will identify, that we can identify from Scripture? So naturally, then I happened upon this text here, because this is given specifically to fathers. Uh, In the the same context, children are uh, are given their command, right, to obey. In the previous chapter, wives are given their command to be subject, and the husband is also told to be the head. But here we have a specific command to fathers in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the, the very similar text given us in Colossians 3 and verse 21. So let's look then at the command that is given us in this text, and then the caution, and then the danger, and then to make some points of application. So first of all, the command then that is given us in this text is the second part of the text, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, fathers then are uniquely given the responsibility to bring up And of course, the the text does not mean to imply that mothers have nothing to do with this, right? But that fathers are uniquely, by God, given the responsibility to see to it, right? To take responsibility for the fact that their children are brought up. And the words that we have here in our text are very broad words. I know that uh, we tend to think, especially the, the word given us there, but bring them up in the discipline. We tend to think of punishment, right? But the word there really is is a very broad word for just raising children, for teaching them, training them, for shaping and molding their character. And yes, it certainly includes punishment as we think of it as, as a, a negative consequence for something that a child may have done. But it's a very broad word. In fact, you can find that same word if you just back up a little bit to verse 29 of chapter 5. In Ephesians 5 and verse 29 where we read, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. And that word nourishes there is the word that is given us in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. He nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So a very broad word. And then the second word that we're given is instruction. Instruction. Now this word, too, would also include the idea of discipline, again, a, a punishment, a, a negative consequence, right, for inappropriate behavior. But now the, the, the emphasis is more on verbal instruction and a verbal rebuke where it is called for. So the first word in the discipline, a very broad word for just the general raising of children. And then we have instruction. Instruction where, where the emphasis is, is more on verbal, verbal training. Now, as I told you, I I wanted to see what the Bible would say specifically to a father as a father, not just to a father in his role as a parent with his wife, but does the father bring something uniquely to the marriage and to the family that that we can identify in Scripture? And that's why I've given you these other other verses here, that uh, the fathers are given this this, uh, command to bring up, to discipline, to instruct, But if you look at these other verses, I think you can get a a hint, a clue, what it is that God understands the role of a father to be, and specifically what a father should focus on. And if you look at 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14, again, this is God speaking to David when God entered into a covenant with David, and God says, he's speaking through the prophet here, in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Now that indicates to me that it is especially that that aspect of punishment that is certainly part of the raising of children and the rearing of them, that that, that, that the task of punishment is something that God uniquely expects from the Father. 
Now, again, I have to say this so many times in this sermon, right? But that's not to say that a mother never corrects her children. In fact, we, we talked about that the last time. We had the Mother's Day. Uh, but again, it seems in Scripture that God ex- ex- explicitly and specifically and uniquely expects the Father to be the one who oversees and performs this, ad- this, this act of correction. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him, says God. And God says, and God compares that then to what a father does. Right? God doesn't say, I will be a mother to him, and he will be a son to me, and I will correct him. You notice that, right? God didn't say, I will be a mother. He said, I will be a father to him. Because God understands a father to have that unique role of punishment. Now, if you turn to Proverbs 3 and verse 12, we'll see a similar idea. In Proverbs 3 and verse 12. And again, I I bring up these texts, not to say that this is all of parenting, but again, this week in my study, I asked the Bible this question, what uniquely does the Bible have to teach us about the role of fathers as fathers? Well, in Proverbs 3 and verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. So there is the Lord in his task of punishment, of reproving, rebuking. And then the second part of the verse, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And again, I point out to you that it's the father that God brings out in this verse. He does not say even as a mother corrects. Not that a mother never corrects her children, but that God expects uniquely the father to be the one who takes the leading role in correcting the son and the daughter. And then the last verse is Hebrews 12. And this is actually a longer passage where it's speaking about discipline. In Hebrews 12, I think actually these verses are quite familiar to us, right? Where uh, the the apostle is talking to the Jewish Christians here and he says in, in Hebrews 12 and verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. And then verse 7 is the key here. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And again, I just draw your attention to the fact that the author here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it the Father who takes the leading role then in the discipline, the punishment of the children. Now, of course, that's not all that there is to fatherhood. But again, I I, I tell you, uh, I I hide behind the Bible this evening, right? That the Bible brings that task of punishment, especially to be a responsibility of the fathers. Well, then this command that we are given us here in Ephesians 6 to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and especially in that role of punishment, uh, I, I bring back to your mind, you know that I think the whole task of parenting can be summed up in what God tells us about himself, right? Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. And for parents... There's that role of goodness, and hopefully there's an abundance of goodness in your parenting. But behind 
and beneath that goodness is severity. And I would understand the Bible then and God to be teaching us that especially the husband bears that rod of correction and brings that severity into the relationship. Now we know from other uh, parts of Scripture that the father as father is given as the head. And again, that's very clear in the, in the passages that we read from Ephesians, right? It's not in the, uh, the text tonight in Ephesians 6 verse 4, but it certainly is in the previous chapter where the husband uh, is given the role to be the head of his wife, even as Christ also is the head of the church, right? That sacrificial authority, right? That servant leadership, as it's often called, is especially put upon the head of the husband. He is given that role to take the lead in all of the family's affairs. And in, and in, you might say, steering that car down the road, right? The husband has the wheel in his hand, and he's given that responsibility by God to lead the household. Of course, that doesn't mean the husband uh, takes care of every detail. There's a vast amount of, of work in the relationship and in the marriage and in the family that the husband and the wife share. But the husband is uniquely given by God that authority as the head of the household and the responsibility to lead that house in a way of godliness and truth. But now our text also gives us a caution. And the caution that we're given here fits exactly with what we've already said about the husband's role, both as the, uh, may I call him the disciplinarian, right? The one who often uh, brings the, the, the severity to the, to the raising of the children. But now the text brings this caution. In the first part of our text, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And in Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not exasperate or irritate your children. And why is the husband, why is the father uniquely given that command by God? And of course, it's because the husband is the most likely to abuse it, isn't it? He has the authority in his hands. He has the, you might say, the tools to do that kind of thing, right? To provoke the children to anger, to exasperate them by undue severity, by discipline that is too severe or, or deficient in some other way. Discipline that doesn't fit the, the crime, whatever it may be. The husband is uniquely tempted. He's uniquely in a position where he can do that kind of work. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that mothers can't irritate their children, that mothers shouldn't be worried about provoking their children to anger. Of course, they have uh, that possibility. But again, when we ask, what does the Bible say to fathers especially? Then after giving them that role of headship and, that, and the responsibility of taking the lead and the punishment of the children, the, the, the scriptures now caution. And there's that caution. Don't exasperate. Don't provoke them to anger. Discipline them in love. And I gave you that text there in the outline from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy and 3, verse 4, where the apostle is giving the characteristics of a man who can serve well as an elder. And you'll notice that it says he must be one who manages his own household. Well, sometimes we want to put a period after manages his own household. But you see the, the Bible, and Paul here instructing Timothy is not so interested in someone who manages his household. There's all kinds of employers and, and uh, CEOs who manage their business well, or they, they manage their business, I should say. But now God is calling for men who manage their household well. 
and in this way that they do not provoke their children to anger, and they do not exasperate them. Now here, congregation, I know that uh, I have children too, and you look back at me and you think, well, that's impossible. Children are always irritated and always exasperated with everything that I say. And if I say uh, uh, the sun comes up in the morning, they'll deny it. And, and it doesn't matter what I say. They are always exasperated and irritated with what I say. Well, again, the scriptures don't teach us, right, that we can never exasperate our children. That would contradict what God just said, that the husband and the father is given the responsibility of that task of punishment. Well, by, by definition, that's going to irritate them right, and exasperate them. Right? But, the, but the context here is that you do not unnecessarily exasperate them. You do not unduly irritate them. That you don't take it farther than necessary. And of course, that's always our temptation in the heat of the moment when our pride is touched. Right? To carry it farther than God would have us to carry it. And God frowns very severely upon that, dear fathers. That we don't abuse our authority in that regard. And, and God has a very tender heart for the abused and for the, uh, for the downtrodden in society. And that's why God lays such a heavy responsibility on fathers and gives them this caution that we don't un- unnecessarily exasperate and irritate our children by the way we lead our families. Now, I wanted to give you some examples here from Scripture of this of how God highlights in the life of Abraham in the first place how he he managed his household. And he, again, Scripture brings this out. He highlights it in Genesis 18 and verse 19. For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So here is Abraham as a father who manages his household well and he receives the commendation from God that he commands his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And I don't need to even turn to Joshua 24, verse 15. You know that text, right? Where Joshua is speaking to Israel, right? And with the covenant terms set before them, Joshua stands before Israel and he says, As for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. I love to see that, uh, that plaque on the walls of houses, right? I see it quite often. It's such a beautiful thing, right? That a father especially would stand before his household, that he would lead, that he would set the course straight forward in the way of the Lord and say, As for me and my house, that means whatever may happen out here or here, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a precious text that is. And then a negative example. And when you look at 1 Samuel 2, you know who's going to come in for the, for the criticism here. But Eli, 1 Samuel 2, verse 24. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 24, we're told that Eli, when he saw his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, doing wickedness in the temple, that he said to them, No, my sons, For the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. But we don't read anything else, do we? We don't read about that severity that should have come out at that moment. That Eli should have put his foot down. And he said, no, we will not tolerate this anymore. His sons undoubtedly at that time were older. 
but still, the, the, the implication is here is very strong that Eli was too soft, that he did not stand up for what was right as he should have as a father. And then in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13, we're told explicitly where God revealed to young Samuel about Eli, for I have told him, that is God says, I have told Eli that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. So there's a negative example of someone who did not manage his house well. He tolerated the sins of his sons. And now, congregation, the third point there, the danger. And the danger then is especially given us in verse 21 of Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, verse 21, where we read, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And then here's the danger, so that they will not lose heart that an undue irritation that you cause in the lives of your children by a haughty, by an uh, unnecessarily severe uh, style of leadership will damage the spirit of your children. It will take away their, their, their zeal for life. It will extinguish the flame that burns in the heart of a child. And God brings this to our notice because this is a real, a real danger. I remember an older woman uh, when I was younger giving us the advice that God calls for us to break the will of our children but not their spirit. Do you understand the difference? To break the will. The, the children's will needs to bend to obey their parents. They must learn that. You must have authority in your home. Your children must learn obedience. And so their will in that sense Maybe break is, is, is too severe, but they must learn to bend that will. And if it won't bend, then it must be broken. There must be that painful punishment which teaches children to bow under the authority of their parents and to learn to love that authority and to cherish it, but not in such a way that their spirit is broken. And you may ask me to define that more carefully. I'm not sure I can. But I think you sense something, right? Right? That there's something to that, that parents can break the spirit. They can extinguish the flame that burns in their soul by this kind of, uh, of, uh, of, of management and leadership. And so, fathers, God cautions us against this, not to be unduly severe in our, in our families. Now, I have to say, congregation, that if I think about our society today, and if I think about the the general way things run in our, in our world and the way things kind of tilt. Certainly, if there's a, an, a, a continuum here of being too severe and of being too indulgent, in my own personal opinion, now this is not the word of God speaking, we're way over here in the too indulgent. I don't think anybody would, would doubt that, right? And so we need to hear these commands, fathers, but I, I would encourage you, uh, to reject this idea that continually filters into our psyche, right? That we have to protect and shield our child from every difficulty and from every harm. And that, well, my wife and I just, we chuckled so when we got on the airplane on, in, uh, in Calgary because the lady says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. She says, my child dropped his... Uh, coffee. They went to Starbucks and got a coffee. And so my husband ran back to get her another one. And we just 
kind of chuckled at that, that the father would, you know, see it as responsibility to run back and get his child another coffee, and this girl's like three years old. But at any rate, uh, again, the, 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 the text is, is so beautifully balanced, as the Word of God always is, right? This, this, this responsibility to raise children, to rear them, and yes, punishment being a part of that, and especially for the father, but then the caution, right? That there would be, that there would be an, an awareness that, that severity can be carried too far, especially when our, the heat of our passion is worked up. And you know, if I can, if I can give you a, a, a personal um, method that has worked well in our own household, uh, dear brothers, and when you discipline your children severely, like when you really have to discipline them, be it a physically, uh, I'm not talking about just a slap on the hand, but when you really have to discipline them severely, and I hope that's rare, but when you have to do that, what a blessing it is for your own self to bow with your children in prayer after such an encounter and to ask God to forgive both the sin that the child committed and to be a check upon your own passion and upon your own pride that may be all worked up at the time. So again, I think that's a, such a wonderful thing uh, to, to, to use, that when you really have to take a child aside for a, a discipline, that you use prayer both to teach the child to seek forgiveness with Jesus and the blood of Christ, but also to be a check upon this severity that it would not go too far. Well, let me bring then some points of application. And in the first place, congregation, the, the application is very simple, isn't it? I hardly need to say it. But this responsibility that God has placed upon us. And so I address you, fathers, in the first place. Whether you own this responsibility, this role that God has called you to perform in your own home. That the rearing of these children is something that God singles out as your primary role in life. Is that how you understand your role as a father? Because again, our society has so many ways of, of messing with this. Because today we're told that a, a father's role is to bring home a paycheck. And a, a large paycheck, preferably. That a father's role is to have a large house. A shiny car in the driveway. A house in the suburbs. And the, and the father has this role to perform all these things. And if he falls short on those things, why, society comes down on him. And maybe even in its own church, there's, there's pressure to conform to kind of the, the socioeconomic status that is expected from all fathers. And that becomes our role. But congregation, you see how our text identifies that differently. You know, I, in this regard, I, I can't help but think of that pig farmer in Ontario. I spent a Sunday there once. It smelled like you would expect at a pig farm. There were flies in the house. The house was not terribly neat. Uh, the man had eight children, if I recall correctly. But after Sunday morning, we got back from church, and he went into the cupboard, and he brought out a large bowl of jelly beans, and he put those on the table, and he said, Come, children, it's time to talk about the sermon. Now, what did you hear, Johnny? And so-and-so, and so-and-so. And every time, there would go a jelly bean, roll down the table, and he would give it to his children as they were able to give him some information from the sermon. 
I can't help but think, congregation, that with all this man's, he wasn't so well-to-do. The house certainly didn't smell great. It was certainly not up, kept up nicely. But God smiled on that household when this man brought out the jelly beans to discuss and to apply and to reinforce what the minister said from the pulpit. And again, I don't know what else this man did by way of family religion, but I saw enough. I was so impressed. I was a single man at the time. I was so touched by that. And I'm sure that in your own households and your own fathers, you've seen similar uh, experiences. What a blessing that is when we see that. And again, our text teaches us not just what the responsibility is, but who, whose responsibility it is. That it's the father's responsibility to rear these children. And again, I just point out to you, congregation, that it's not the Christian school's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not the Boy Scouts. It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not even your wife's or the mother of the children's responsibility. But it is the father's responsibility. Now again, that's not to say that the Christian school isn't a big part of that. It's not to say that the church isn't a big part of that. Of course it is. And certainly it's not to say that the wife and the mother of the children doesn't play a huge role. In fact, most of the hands-on, day-to-day raising of the children will likely fall to her. But it's to say that the leading role is given by God in Scripture to the father of the household. He is the head. He drives the car, as it were. He bears the responsibility to ensure that the household is traveling down that road of holiness, the commands and the word of God. That's his responsibility. Congregation, dear fathers, that's your responsibility. And I hope that you own that this evening. And I hope that you're ready to step up and to do that. I want to speak also to to other in our congregation, wives and mothers amongst us. Is this your understanding of your husband's role and function in the family? Because if your husband is going to do that, he needs a helper. We were taught that in the very first verses of Genesis, right? That God created Eve to be a help, meet for her husband, suitable for him. But then that's your responsibility as well. You play a supporting role in that. And if you're constantly criticizing, calling into question your husband's judgment, putting obstacles in his way, how can he perform that role? He can still do it, but how much more difficult it is. And on the contrary, what a wonderful thing it is when wives defer to their husbands, when wives nurture this kind of leadership in their husbands, when they assist when they help it along. What a blessing. And what, what a blessing from God comes on such a beautiful family relationship, family management. The husband steps up and the wife supports. Now again, there's so many qualifications, right? Of course, the husband's going to seek out his wife's uh, wisdom on all these subjects. And of course, he's going to defer many things completely to her and and let her to manage those things. He can't do everything, right? God's not calling the husband to make every decision in the house, right? But he does call the husband to take the leading role 
in the direction that the family goes. And wives and mothers, you're called upon to support that and to nourish that and to treasure that. Because God knows how families work. He set them up. He created them. And so he calls you to support and to be a helper to your husband in this. May I speak to the children this evening? To the children. I know many times your, your parents irritate you, don't they? They exasperate you. You get very frustrated with the decisions that they make. But let me ask you this evening, as your father comes, he wants to see your phone. As the father comes and he puts blocking software, accountability software on your computer, as he says, no, you can't do that, no, you can't go to that place, let me ask you, children, and think honestly with me this evening, do you think that you would be happier if your father did none of those things? Let's just suppose, think with me for a, think with me for a moment, Suppose that your father just stopped doing all that stuff tomorrow morning. Monday morning, July 4, your father stopped. Dad, can I watch this movie? Oh, sure, son. Uh, any, any movie you like, go ahead. Help yourself. There's YouTube. Go ahead. Find something interesting and watch it. Here's your phone, if you have a phone. Here's my uh, book collection, my magazines. Here's my set of friends from school. Whatever you like, son. Whatever you like, daughter, go ahead, do it. Now, do you think you would be happier? And answer me honestly now. Do you think you would be happier under such a situation? Would that be something that you would like to live under? Let me ask you another question. Someday when God blesses you with children, do you intend to raise them that way? No. You certainly don't. I know you don't. And so the fact is, dear children, praise God for your father when he gets in your face when he wants to know your business when he wants to see what you're reading he wants to see what you're looking at he says no you may have your phone in your room right he says no you spent enough time on the computer today it's time to get off I know how these things work right but children bless God for that right bless God for that no different than if you were sitting in your house and suddenly a man rushed into your house with a knife ready to cut you to pieces your father would leap forward and defend you. It's no different when your father says, I'd like to see what you're looking at there. Right? Or son, let's come. I'm going to read this book with you. Or I want you to read this book. Or whatever it may be, all the irritating and annoying things that your father does. Right? He loves you and he protects you. And children, I also want to bring to you what the Heidelberg Catechism says. Because you know your parents aren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect, and the author of our catechism knew that. And I always found it so interesting when he says in, the, in his question 104 of the catechism on the fifth commandment, he says, What is God's will for us in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother, and all those in authority over me, that I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me. And then this, and listen carefully now, also that I be patient with their failings. And through, for through them, God chooses to rule us. Your parents fail, children. They fail. They're not perfect parents. Sometimes they are too severe. Sometimes they're not severe enough. But your parents, your, your fathers especially, they fail. And God calls you to be patient with their failings, to forgive them. And someday when you're a father, you'll understand what that means. Single men in the church. Single men. 
Is this your understanding of what God calls you to be should someday you get married? Is this what you understand marriage to be? That if you got married, that God would bless you with children and that you look forward to, that you aspire to that, that that is something that you eagerly anticipate, that you would be blessed with a wife and with children should God choose to give them to you, and that you now would take on this role that God gives you to lead your family in the truth, to guide them down the path of truth. That is what it means to be a father. That is what God expects from fathers and single women. Do you look for this in a husband? The captain of the football team might not be the one who, when you're married with three children, would gather them in the evening to speak to them about the ways of God. But there will be other ones. And this is who you should look for. This is the kind of father that you'll desire. This is the kind of father that God blesses. And this is the kind of husband you should seek. Well, I come to my second point of application. Example. The example you set for your family, dear fathers, will become their default value set. The way that you treat the Bible, the way that you treat church, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you treat the children, that becomes their kind of default. That's kind of what they're hardwired with as they go off into life. And so again, I have to be brief here. But are you seeking first the things of the kingdom of God so that your children learn that this is the best life? to seek first the things of the kingdom of God. Because if you play fast and loose, if you play careless with the things of God, they will do it. And, and one more thing to say about that. They will do it minus one. You, you notice that in life, don't you? That it seems like parents will do this and the children will do that, but just a little bit less. And the next generation a little bit less until the fear of God vanishes completely from the family. And so, fathers, that's why it's very important that intentionally we think about the example that we set. Because the values your children have are not taught, but they are caught. Now, that's convicting. That's convicting for me and for you. I know it is. I I have to hasten on to my third point of application, channels. And by this I mean the channels of worldliness that come into our home. These, these avenues, these roads that Satan has to get into our family. Fathers, it's your responsibility to watch those, to be on guard against them. And especially, of course, I have to mention the internet this evening. Fathers, you must, you must control your internet connection. You must control your internet connection the pastors that I've spoken with and and the amount of havoc that pornography has caused in the Christian church is untold. And fathers, that is your responsibility. If you let your children be in their room alone with the door shut, with a phone or a computer, you are foolish. You are breathtakingly foolish. I cannot say it any other way. And I don't say it because I'm standing up here to be some kind of authoritarian dictator. 
I say it from hard experience. I've seen the single mothers walking with their children. I say to my wife, where's so-and-so? Where's the husband? Oh, yeah, they're not together anymore. The husband was so addicted to pornography, he couldn't stay married any longer. Fathers, this is your responsibility. If you need help, by the way, you can contact me. I'll be there Monday morning to set that up for you. I will show you how to set that up. But you must control your internet connection. And it's not so terribly difficult. Please contact me if you need help with that. You will wreck your children and wreck their souls if they are allowed. Let me say it this way. It's not a matter... If your internet is, is, is un, un, unaccountable, it is not a matter of if, but a matter of when your children will discover inappropriate things online. Please take that seriously. The devil is determined to drag your children to hell. And the internet is one of his best tools for doing so. I move congregation to my fourth point, adulthood. I'm just going to quickly mention this. When your children transition to adulthood, how they need their fathers especially to come and to explain to them the issues of life and especially as they pertain to the seventh commandment. Do you want your children to learn those things at the school? or in the playground, or worse, online. Take that responsibility, fathers, to teach your children the issues that pertain to the seventh commandment. What it means to be married, the very material we talk about this evening, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a wife, and what it means to be pure. Take that responsibility. Congregation, I come then to the last point here. Very quickly, the last point. I said this also when we talked about Mother's Day, that today really isn't Father's Day, right? It's the Lord's Day. And fathers, I want to set before you also this evening, before we leave, the cross of Christ. The blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sins, because we see how far short we fall when we, when we read what the Bible commands for fathers. And we see the sin that stands glaring us in the face, And so I set before you, congregation, the Lord's Day, which is the day that we gather before the cross of Christ, confessing our sins and falling before him, pleading the promise, Lord, if we confess our sins, you've said you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where we have to end this evening, dear brothers. That's where we have to end. Coming under the blood of Christ, to cleanse us from all the iniquity and all the shortcomings and all the failings. Remember what we preached on two weeks ago, right, from the Catechism. Behold the Lamb of God. And what does the Lamb of God do? He takes away the sin of fathers. He takes away the sin of fathers. Let's end there, brothers. Let's end on our knees before the cross of Christ and to receive his forgiveness, which he offers to all those who are truly penitent before him. May God bless it to us, congregation, for us and our children. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we draw near to you at the close of this message. Lord, your word is such a sharp sword. It cuts into us, Lord. It lays bare our sins, our failings, uh, as people generally, Lord, but this evening, especially as fathers. Lord, what a heavy responsibility it is. And we take refuge, O Lord, in Jesus Christ to give us the cleansing from our sins that we need, but also, Lord, to give us that new courage, that new motivation, perhaps to make a new start. Perhaps there is one here, Lord, fathers who need to, who need to make a new start, who need, to, who need to throw out the old 
and just to begin all over again and to, like Abraham of old, command their children and to lead their household in the way of godliness. Lord, help us not to shirk this authority. Help us not to hear society that tells us that men and women are equal, that husbands and wives have no unique authority over the family. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what your word teaches us, to step forward in leadership, to step forward to bear the authority that you have given us to bear and to do so in a wise, loving, and humble way, to do so in a way, Lord, where we give our attention to the caution that was given us also not to unduly exasperate and irritate our children, Lord, but to walk in the fear of the Lord. Lord, help us to set an example for our children. Oh, that they would see in our lives that the service of Christ is the happiest and the best service. Lord, please remember us and bless us then. Also, Lord, as we enjoy a holiday tomorrow, I pray that these words would come back to us, that your word, O Lord, would be in our minds, that we would turn these things over and meditate upon them, that we would chew upon this food, O Lord, which you've given us this evening, and that we would be diligent to apply these things in our lives. And bless the efforts, Lord, bless even the small efforts that every father makes in this place to bring godliness and to guard his children against sin. Lord, I pray that you would go before us, that you would go into the hearts of our children, that you would break hard hearts, and that you would draw them sweetly and surely after yourself, that they would be Christians, that they would love the Savior, that they would love the way of truth and the way of godliness, that they would love law and gospel, that they would say with David, O Lord, how love I your law. It is is my meditation all the day. Lord, this is not something we can do, but we pray that you would work these things in the hearts and minds of our children to the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom. Lord, hear us as we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.